We're going to be uh, there today, and I'll just pray. Lord, uh, you are so good, God. You, we have a good, good Father, and the reason we have breath in our lungs today and, and we're able to stand here or sit here today, Lord, is because of you, uh, because you're an initiator of love. You're the one that f- the Bible says that you first loved us. That's the only reason we love you, because of the revelation of who you are and what you've done and uh, your, your thoughts towards us and your care over our life. Lord, I pray that some would apprehend that more today. God, I pray as we uh, go through Luke 15, what a, what a powerful portion of Scripture, very illuminating, very comforting uh, to so many for, for thousands of years uh, to the church. And I, I just pray today it would bring comfort to your church today, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Uh, in, you can stay there in Luke um, I'm going to read you a, a quick scripture here in John. I don't have my normal Bible with me. I've got uh, a larger print Bible that I need. Um, so i got to find the verse. Um, it says this in verse 18 of John chapter 1. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, who's in the bosom of the Father... He's declared him. And that's very important for you and I today because what John the Baptist is saying about, or John uh, the Apostle is saying about Jesus Christ is is no one is closer to the Father than Jesus Christ. Right? And, And he is the invisible God. That you can't know him apart from his very own revelation to you and I. That we can't know God. But what Jesus came to do, part of his ministry, Jesus was laser focused on, the, on Calvary. We're going to celebrate that today with communion. But Jesus, part of his ministry was to clear up thoughts on who God the Father is. Because so many people, and maybe you were like me, thought God is so angry with you. And when he gets his hand on you, when, uh, when you come back to him or, uh, or whatever. And Jesus here, uh, is, his ministry is to clarify that thought of who God is, who God the Father is. And his thoughts towards you, his thoughts towards me. His heart's to- heart towards you, his heart towards me. And, and that's what, what happens here. And, and Jesus has a teaching here. He gives a teaching to a group of people here that has been a message uh, to the church uh, and brings clarity to the heart of the Father and hope for over 2,000 years. And it says this in verse 1 of Luke, chapter 15, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes, they complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, and, if, and I was going to tell you, we're going to be introduced to two groups of people. One people want to hear Jesus, and one, people, uh, one group of people want to complain about Jesus. One group is a bunch of sinners, and one group is a bunch of religious people. Who do you think is going to complain, and who do you think is going to hear? Right? If you're unfamiliar, you might think, well, the, obviously the pastor or the religious leaders and the teachers those are the ones that would hear Jesus right because uh, uh, he's God he's religious or whatever you might think but the sinners I mean they would never hear God they wouldn't want to hear Jesus but it's the exact opposite here right the people complaining about what Jesus is saying all the way through the scriptures is always the scribes and Pharisees and Jesus is going to lay out a teaching here uh, for these guys 
to bring some clarity to the heart of the Father, the God that they claim to serve and worship, right? And, and Luke here uh, does something. He, he subcategorizes people. He says, well, some are sinners. Some are tax collectors. Now, tax collectors uh, would be considered the worst of the worst. These guys were traitors. These guys are the ones that, that betrayed their own country, joined, joined forces for money with Rome to uh, uh, really rob the people. They would take tax and excessive tax. You guys probably know this, right? So, you know, you can be a sinner. What, what you know, many of these people we know uh, from even this this chapter are uh, harlots. They're probably people that uh, came out of the bar. They're people that came out of drugs, alcohol, different, different things. But the tax collectors, that's a whole new realm of sinners. Those are the people that, you know, you know a lot of people thought you can't reach them. Those are people that, you know, the, 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 you, can't, you can't change that person. They're locked in. They're, 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 they're too far gone. They're really bad, right? They're reprobate. Uh, and, and Luke does that, I think, for a reason to let us know that, that this was everybody. And, and the scribes and Pharisees, they came just to criticize what Jesus is, is, is doing. So Jesus is going to give them a teaching uh, on, on who the Father is. What's amazing to me, and I want to ask you a question, is, is these sinners, that you might call them sinners, that's you and I because we're all sinners, right? They are so comfortable hearing Jesus Christ. They want to hear what he had to say because Jesus was giving them hope. Something the scribes and Pharisees, the religious people, these people that were, you know, uh, I remember when, when witnessing to a friend of mine uh, for years, uh, he would say, oh, you're holier than thou, you know, and I'd be like, dude, I, you know me. I'm just like you. I probably did worse than you, right? And, and Jesus saved me. He changed me, right? And, but the religious leaders, that's the way they still perceive themselves. And it was a competition between them on, on who was better, who had the, you know, kept their act together, at least outwardly. And Jesus said, you know, you guys are dead men's bones, right? You guys are worse than anything because it's all going on on the inside and you're not being real on the outside. It's all hidden, right? But, the, but uh, this group of sinners, they gladly heard him. Jesus, you know, one of the handles he had was he was a friend of sinners, right? People would, would mockingly say, oh, he's just a friend of sinners, right? Isn't that good to know that he's a friend of sinners? Isn't that good to know for you and I that, that he cares for you and cares for me? and would gladly sit with us, right? Something we need to be careful of. When Jesus sat with people, uh, th those people didn't change him. He changed people. You've got to be careful with that with some of your friendships, right? I remember just getting saved, and, and, and I fell into that right away within uh, just a few months, right? I'm sharing Jesus, sharing Jesus, praying for people on fire lit, and all of a sudden I'm hanging out with the wrong crowd, the wrong people, and they're trying to reel me in as I'm trying to reel them in, right? And they got me, and I went back into this world. And that's why this scripture, this portion of scripture is so near and dear to my heart, and probably so many people here that have had prodigals, or maybe you've been a prodigal, 
And this scripture has brought you comfort. There's people here today that have had prodigals or have prodigals that if you set your Bible on the table at your house like that on the binding, it might open up to this scripture. This is a, these, are, these are words of comfort from Jesus Christ in clarity as to the heart of God the Father towards prodigals, towards people that have wandered and strayed, right? And they gladly heard him and sat with him. And the Pharisees complained. They murmured. Your King James probably says, they murmured saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. What a shame it was. Uh, turn with me to, to Romans chapter 2 just for a second. It says this in verse 1. I'm trying to hurry a little bit here because we had a couple people sharing before me and we have communion. Uh, Romans chapter 2 says this, Therefore, in verse 1, you are an inexcusable, old man, whoever you are who judges. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and do the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? And this is important, verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance? Right? We know that God is just and he's merciful. Was it God's uh, uh, justice or mercy that drew you? Was it fear or hope that drew you? I know what drew me. I, I loved, you know... People were sharing, sharing with me, you know, end times, the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, different things that were going to come upon the earth. But I fell in love with Jesus when I read the Gospels, right? That's what really drew me in. That's what saved me, right? To understand who God is, that He loved me first, that He cares for me. He knew that I was going to be, make mistakes in my past, in the present, and that I'm going to make some in the future, and you are too. And that's the God who looks over and cares for our life. He knows these things, right? And I, I'm, maybe it was the fear of God that drew you. I don't know. So one question I want to ask, one more question, is are people comfortable around you? Are people comfortable around you? Or do they squirm? Are they worried? Hopefully they don't find out what I'm, what's going on. You know, there's a certain amount of conviction our lives bring, right? That's, that's, that's normal, right? But are, do, can somebody actually open up to you and talk to you and tell you what's going on in their life? And that you'll give them hope? Or will you criticize it or, or share it with someone else? Are they afraid to come to you? Talk to you? So Jesus here says, verse 3, he spoke a parable unto them, saying, and a parable is something that you, you lay two things alongside and compare them. Uh, one definition is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's what Jesus does, and he's so good at that. And it says this in verse 4, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Right? That would be radical, but something so understandable for these guys. 
They would know because these guys were shepherds. Israel was always known as shepherds. They knew it. Not everyone was a shepherd, but it was something so familiar to them. And when he has found it, verse 5, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And, and the Bible always compares us to sheep. Isaiah 53 says that all we, Isaiah says it, right? Isaiah. He says, all we, not all you, all we like sheep have gone astray. And everyone has turned to his own way. We've all wandered to one degree or another at one time or another. Right? That's the reality. That's the truth. That every single person here has wandered to some degree or another. Right? And Isaiah declares that. But the Bible also declares, Isaiah says, and he's laid on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, the iniquity is our twisted nature. Right? Everyone here is a little more twisted or differently twisted. I'm twisted one way and you're twisted another way. But we, we, we both need a Savior. We all need a Savior. Right? We're all twisted. And he's laid on Jesus Christ, Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Every single one of us. But the comparison to sheep, that they're prone to wander, that, and maybe, you know, some people I know raise sheep, they show them at the fair. Uh, if you have a large herd, uh, you know, I've heard they're not the smartest animals. If one kind of wanders, it leads other ones away. Uh, they, I don't know firsthand, but I've read and heard. Uh, and that's what God compares us to, that we're like sheep in need of a shepherd. We need someone outside of ourselves to care for us because we can't do it. We need somebody outside of, us, uh, of ourselves that can think clearly and see clearly, that can protect us and love us and guide us and teach us. We need a shepherd. We have the Bible says Jesus said he's a good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. And, you know, the reality is the picture Jesus is painting is far different than, than, um, than what maybe these scribes and Pharisees would think and what sometimes we think. You know, something goes, you, you ever have a dog run away or you're going to get a spent, you know, you're, you're, you ever lose a child at the store, right? Initially, it's like freak out. I remember, I remember one of my kids, we're, we're down the aisle, I look up and, and, and they're heading that way and I, and I look down just for a second, I look back and gone. I don't know if they went left or right and I picked the wrong direction. I went this way and I, don't, I can't remember who it was, it might have been Lydia, it was one of my older kids now, uh, and I'm going this way and she's going that way. right? And I'm like, no, 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 gotta be the other way and I'm booking it you know, just for a second. Just leave everything there in the cart. Whoever's there, you're fine. I got to go, you know. And that's the picture that this shepherd would just, I, I got to go after this one sheep in danger, in harm's way, right? That I got to chase him down. He doesn't, and, 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 and the shepherd doesn't ride him home, ridicule him, or teach him a lesson. He relieves him. He puts him on his shoulder, and he rejoices over him. Amazing. Right? You're going to get, you know, it, it, there's nothing of that here. Right? Not that our kids don't need uh, uh, correction or, you know, to get punished, those, but there's nothing of that in here. And I believe in that. But all he says is, man, he's just rejoicing 
over the fact that I got him back. He's back. That's God's heart towards you. If you've wandered, if you've strayed of your own volition, you've walked away, you've wandered and strayed, you've become in danger, that God's looking in you. He just wants to pick you up and put you on his shoulder and bring you back. And he rejoices, wants to rejoice over that fact. He says, rejoice with me. I have found my sheep which is lost. He calls his friends and neighbors. Not to say, hear what, what you know, so-and-so did. Can you believe that? I cannot imagine them living that way, right? No, he calls them up when he's back. Oh, I've got a party. Hey, we're going to have a party tonight, right? I say to you, likewise, there shall be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who needs no repentance. There's a celebration. And then it says this in verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me. I found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse 3 to 7, you could say, is foolishness. Verse 8 to 10, here what we're looking at is carelessness. Verse 11 to 24 is rebelliousness. And verse 25 to 32, when we look at the parable of the prodigal, that's self-righteousness. And that's really the scribes and Pharisees. He's comparing them to the scribes and Pharisees to this Older brother we're going to read in a moment, read about in a moment. But this woman, she has ten silver coins. She lost one because of her own neglect, carelessness. She left it somewhere. Something happened. She didn't care for it and lost one of the coins. And the coins were representative maybe of a wedding ring, similarly. It was something that a married woman would, would wear. And it would have ten coins that would be like kind of a headdress and uh, and it would represent this covenant, a marriage covenant between her and her husband. And she would wear it in public, a public display of, of being married, and she lost one. She let it go. It's, it's this covenant that we have that God made with us, that he cares, that sometimes we can let go. Sometimes we don't take care of it. It says there comes a point in her life that she realizes, oh my goodness, this is something's missing. And sometimes that's what we feel. Something's missing in my life. There's a distance between me and the Lord. The covenant is still there, but there's parts of it gone. And she realizes, and what does she do? She lights a lamp. And sometimes that's what God does. He lights a lamp. He illuminates into our heart and says, Hey, it's growing cold. What are you letting in there? He lights, she lights a lamp. And sweeps the house. She cleans it. If you've ever cleaned, I was looking for a, a, a title to one of my vehicles the other day. And when you're looking for a, anything, a title, or it can be anything in the kitchen, right? Don't you have to, all right, you, you open the cupboard and realize, I got to take care of that. You know, you start organizing all the bowls and plates, get back in order, right? That's what I did with my, all my files. I'm like, all right, I got to file everything right, you know, put everything where it needs to go. I can't just keep stacking it up. And, 
You guys never do that, but I do that sometimes, right? And, and all right, looking for this, I had to organize and, and clean and sweep. And all right, this is an unnecessary, and you throw it out. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. When you realize something in the covenant is messed up or missing, that things begin to be cleaned out of your life, and, and I need to find this. And she didn't stop. She was relentless until she found it. She wasn't like, ah, maybe tomorrow. Right? You ever feel that way? Sometimes you feel like tomorrow, but sometimes it feels like so urgent that you cannot let it go. And that's when God's pressing on your heart. Hey, you don't want to let this go any longer. Don't let this go any longer, this covenant, this relationship that's binding between you and I. Just one, one, one piece is gone, but don't get it back. Don't let two or three go. And I say to you, therefore... There's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repent. Every parable is marked by repentance. It's a change, a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. It's seeing things God's way. People change. That's how you can tell someone's repented. If they're on that road back, that they begin to change. And we'll look at it in the next parable. We want to be like the father in the next parable, receiving that son in, that, that younger son who's gone. I can't imagine if that younger son was heading back home and he met the older brother. It would have been ugly. We'll find out in just a second here. What happens, maybe you know. God rejoices over repentance. The, the heaven erupts with rejoicing. It says, the angels... God is rejoicing over the repentance, the change of mind of one person. Just one, right? I, I, I was thinking about, you know, watching Harvest Crusades and, and Billy Graham Crusades, just these people flooding, coming forward, what heaven was doing, right? We've had a few uh, Harvest Crusades here. It was, you know, online, different things, just uh, people coming forward. Last night I, I went to bed. And I went to bed fairly early. I brought Carter. Usually he lays down with me. And it's about 8.30. I'm thinking about getting up early in the morning. And I just fall asleep. And I hear Harley. I'm like, ah. You know, you ever fall asleep and then wake up? You're like, I am not going back to sleep. And Harley, like, yeah. And so Micaiah comes in my room. She goes, you know what? I just witnessed to somebody. And all I could think of is, I hope I fall back to sleep. I hope I fall back to sleep. And I go, Okay. That's good, right? And then she left, and all I could think of is how pleased God was with that. And the response of that person she shared with, that it literally would erupt heaven. And I'm worried about my sleep. Get out of here. You know, I wasn't mean or anything, but, right? Heaven erupts over one sinner that repents. God wants people to turn to him in, because of his love. Zephaniah says that God rejoices over us with singing. Can you imagine that? God singing over you, over your life, the party in heaven because you've repented, you've turned to him, and he's, you've given up hell, destruction, disaster, and got heaven, joy, peace, right? What, what, what you get in return, the exchange is amazing. And we don't realize it. 
doesn't log in right away because we're sheep at times. And then it says this in verse 11, very important. He said, Jesus speaking, so everyone, and, and really he's teaching not just the Pharisees and scribes here, but this is a comfort to people. He said, a certain man had two sons. And this really is the story of two prodigals. Not just a prodigal, but two prodigals. And it says, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Amazing what happens here, because what would take place is this younger son was, would get, when the father dies, a third of his goods. The older son would get two-thirds of his goods, the property and different things. The younger son would get a third. And what the younger son is basically saying here is, I can't wait for you to die any longer. I don't want you. I want what you can give me. I want what you can give me. I don't care about our relationship. I don't care about what we could or should have. I just care about what you can give me. And I can't wait any longer for you to die. Doesn't look like, you know, time's on your side right now, right? How hurtful that would be to the father. How devastating that would be. And I think as fathers, what we're going to see in this story is fathers don't discount the role you play in your children's lives, the role you should play, the impact you're going to have, the seeds you sow, and the things you do because they're, they're vitally important. Not everyone here has a dad that they're growing up with. Not everyone here has a father that they're growing up with. I didn't grow up with a dad. I didn't have, and it's not a pity party, it's just there was lots of kids my age that didn't have uh, dads in their life, right? Uh, I just didn't have that guy to, to throw the ball with. I didn't have that guy to, to hey, hey, no, no, I understand what you're going through. I went through that myself. I didn't have that, right? But some, and, and, and sometimes it's worse. People had it worse, man. People, fathers can be abusive verbally, physically, right? It can be bad. That may be the dad you have. Uh, this world is, is not what it should be and not what it, it was supposed to be. Don't project the dad you had or the dad you didn't have in this world, especially if he was not a good guy, on our Heavenly Father because he is good. We do have, we sang that song today, we have a good, good father that cares so much for you and for me. Don't discount the value you have. If you're in the home and your kids are still home, the impact you can have on their life, it's huge, massive. What this guy poured into the younger son, when he came to himself, he said, I got to go back home. It was way better there. It was way better. So give me, give me what falls to me. And, and, and it's so bad. And his attitude is what, most of our attitudes can be at times, uh, especially in the world, it was the give me attitude. Give me, give me, give me. Right? And you go out in the world, you realize everyone has that attitude. Give me, give me, give me. And when you run out, they're done with you. You're like an empty Coke can on the side of the road. Give me, give me, give me. And we sanitize this sometimes and sterilize it, but this was ugly. This was bad. There was hurt people, hurt lives and family, family members, people that lived around them, right? This was, this was ugly. I remember hearing a story 
uh, studying this years ago and, and just refreshing myself of a pastor, Don McClure, who did this, had a son, uh, Marcus, who did the same thing to him. You know, Don raised him in the Lord. He was a pastor. Uh, and his son, Marcus, was like, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. You know, they had a little bit of a fight, whatever. He's leaving on his way out. Don says, listen, Marcus, do me one thing. You owe, you owe me this. Do me a favor. He's like, yeah, what, Dad? If you find anything out there better than Jesus, you better come and tell me. I've wiped your butt, changed your diapers, provided for you. He says, if you find anything better, because I never did. I've never found anything. And a year and a half later, he came back and knocked on the door, and his mom answered the door. And Marcus says, tell Dad, there's no, I, ain't, I didn't find anything better than Jesus out there. Right? And that's the reality. And, and, and raise your kids in the Lord. They might go. That happens sometimes. That happens. The, the greatest father ever has prodigals, right? I spent time as a prodigal. Uh, I got saved in 1994 around August and, and walked with the Lord for uh, uh, 1994. I walked with the Lord until the last day of 1994, December 31st. And a friend of mine said, hey, Harley, come on out tonight. After, this is after a hundred times he asked me that. Come on, it's New Year's Eve. And I went out. And I made that mistake. And, and I walked back into this world for seven months, six to seven months, just living like this young man's going to do in the pig pen and realizing there's nothing out here better than Jesus. What am I doing? I got to get back. Right? I got to get back. As Stephen preaches uh, his one and only message we have in, uh, in the book of Acts, what he tells the scribes and Pharisees and these people listening to him, he says, that departure for the children of Israel when they went into the wilderness, it started as they departed from God, it started in their heart. Started. There's people here today that the departure has started in your heart. Where the things of God, the word of God, is not a priority anymore. Where things are growing cold in your life. That's where the departure starts. When like Eve, you believe the devil that God is not giving you everything you could or should have. Look at that fruit. It's so nice. And you begin to look away from the things of the Lord. And the departure starts there and your feet follow. You begin to follow that appetite and it's it, it's a place of destruction the devil has no good plans for you this world has no good plans for you you got to come back so it says he divided unto him his livelihood liquidated things whatever it took and gave him his portion and it says not many days after the younger son gathered all together and journeyed into a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. That's where we get the, word, the, the idea of a prodigal son. It's that word wasted. It's prodigal living. It's just wasting everything. But the reality is, uh, just, just studying this this week, uh, the, uh, there was a study done on prodigals, a pretty in-depth study that 80% return. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good percentage, if it's accurate, right? That they just do a circuit. They go out and they come back. 
Amazing. That's hoped to something to hold on to uh, in the natural, right? But it, it could be that this is tuition. You're giving that kid money to go, all right, if that's what you want to do. And for that child to learn, there's nothing good out there, right? This is yours. It was yours anyways. And they're going anyways. But what that, what that father does after this point, gives him what's his, but that's all he gives him. That was the end. That was it. Heartbroken as he was, he wasted his possessions with wasteful living, prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose, coincidentally enough, a severe famine in the land. And he began to be in want. All his friends are gone. The people that he hung out with were gone. When he had money, oh man, the friends you have when you have money. When, 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 uh, when you know, your parents are gone for the weekend and you've got the house free. And then when you get in trouble, they're gone. And you're cleaning the house and grounded, and, right? When he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land. How long does it take for, for people to be empty and broke and spend all, right? can be a while. It's different for everyone. And then he had a thought in verse 15. He went and joined himself to the citizens of that country, and they sent him into the fields to feed swine. And as, as Jesus is saying that, that's where the, all the gasps would come in. What did this kid do? I get it. He lived prodigally. We understand that news already had gotten home that this kid was, was spending his money on prostitutes, probably alcohol, drugs, everything you could do. But then when Jesus said he went to feed swine, that was the unthinkable, right? That was the unclean thing in Israel. Wait a second. This kid is too far gone. There's no hope for him. He's feeding pigs, right? People probably thought that about you. I know people thought that about me. This kid's, this guy's out of his mind. He can't get saved. There's no chance. Pastor? That was probably something this kid probably thought, you know what, I'm leaving, but I'll never stoop that low. I'm going to party a little bit, or I'm going to hang out with my friends, but I'll never do that. This probably was an all-time low for him, too. And then it says, And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Friends were gone. Friends were gone. Everybody, everything is stripped away. He's really reaping what he has sown. Uh, and, and how desperate can you be? Because there's a famine in the land, but there's still pig food. What does that look like? I remember when I was a kid, um, I'd go to my mom's house on the weekends, and, and Bob would say, all right, get in a truck. We're going, to get, we're going to burn dairy and all these little dairies, and we're getting these crates full of spoiled milk. Disgusting. I mean, you'd open it up and go like this and nothing would come out. You got to open it all the way and squeeze this big, huge lump out, right? And the pigs just ate it all. Just crazy. I hated it so much. It was the worst job in the world to feed those things. And he's looking through that thinking, that might be good to eat. I could eat one of these, right? Imagine, there's a famine in the land. Imagine the food the pigs are eating and he's rummaging through there thinking, this is still good, right? This is still good. How, how bad is it for this kid? And that's what God allows those things. 
not to, not to walk us through pain. This kid did it on his own, but to bring him back to his, himself, bring him to his senses, and that's what we see happens here. It says, verse 17, he came to himself. Really, the light bulb came on, and he said, wait a second, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I'm perishing with hunger. I will arise and go to my father's house. So he's, he's making this plan. And he'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And that's where people really need to get. There needs to be a humbling. You need to be humbled and turn and repent and change and come back. And that's what this, this kid is humble. And he's making his plan. And even in, this, in his mind, he's thinking, my, he doesn't even know his father that well because he's thinking, I'm just going to go be a servant. And that's not God's plan for him. His father wasn't going to say, fine, you can be a servant. There was a Jewish proverb that that was the teaching. Same exact thing, but this kid only came home to be a servant. And, and Jesus is even clarif clarifying that. And he's thinking, all right, I, I, I know my father well enough that he might let me be a servant. I think he will. I could be a servant in his house. But he comes to himself and realizes, I got to get back. And he arose and came to his father. Amazing, verse 20. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Imagine the scene. It was a shameful thing to be a, a, a father in that culture, to, be, to pull up your robes and to be running. He didn't care. This is the only part of Scripture where, where God is, is portrayed as being in a hurry. Or he is racing towards his son. Where, go to the highest part of his property, and he'd look down the road every day, every day, every day. I remember hearing a story of an evangelist in the 1800s in Wisconsin, and he got off the train and started talking to a guy. How come you're here? You know, what are you doing? Where are you going? Well, I'm just here. I'm waiting for my son. Oh, really? Is he coming in today? I don't know. I've been waiting here every day. He left a couple years ago. I come back every day. Oh, wow. Fourteen years later, that evangelist came through, gets off the train, and that guy's still there. Still there, waiting. What he didn't realize is his son was on the train, and his dad saw him. And they were talking just for a second, and this guy saw his son, and he bounded up, this older gentleman bounds up the plane, up the train, and just embraces his son and hugs him. And he came back down to talk to the guy. He says, I would have waited here till I died for my son to come home. That's God's heart. I would have stayed here till I died. This guy is waiting for his son, and he ran, fell on his neck, and he's kissing him. And the son's trying to get his words out. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. He had his theology right. He did sin against heaven first. And in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts him and said to his servants, Bring out the best robe. That would be the father's robe. And put it on him, right? He would take this robe and clothe him. Imagine how dirty this kid was. He just came out of the pig pen, right? How stinky. How, and his dad didn't care. He embraced him, hugged him, kissed him. He says, go get my robe. And that's what Jesus does. When we walk in this world, we get stinky, smelly, dirty. And he says, put a new robe on him, a robe of righteousness, 
taking your old garments away and I'm putting new ones on you. That's what God does. He says, give them a robe. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna cover all that stuff that you've done. And then he says, put a ring on his hand. That's huge because now he's reinstated as a son, not a servant, not a slave, but now you're a son. All the privileges of a son, you're back. And right away, immediately, put that ring on. Full access to the inheritance and sandals on your feet. This is going to help you walk. This is going to keep you on the right path. Put sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Celebration. He says, my son was dead. What can a dead man do, man? We're looking at kids who go prodigal or never knew the Lord. They're dead. They need prayer. They need love. They need hope. They maybe never were born again. He says, he was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now here's the story of self-righteousness. And thank God that this young man didn't meet the brother first on that road. And it says, Now his older brother was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house and heard music and dancing. So he called for one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he's received him safe and sound, that's your father, has killed the fatted calf, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you've never given me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, he doesn't even relate to him, as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood. He's calling the father a prodigal here. He's wasted all your stuff. You've given it to him. You killed the fatted calf. You're still wasting. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Amazing. What we see here is the father loved the older son as much as the younger son. That he rushed right out, right out and tried to reason with him. He, it, it, your Bible might say he pleaded with him. That's, what, that's, that's who Jesus is. That's who, that's who God is. He pleads with the younger son and waits for him and pleads with the older son. He cares for both. He was angry and wouldn't go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Everything I have is yours. Don't you understand that? And it kind of leaves you on a cliffhanger, cliffhanger because we don't know what happens at that point. And I think it leaves the self-righteous person a door to do one of two things. Either come into the party or stay outside. You either can come in at the Father's pleading, knowing that everything I have is yours, or you stay outside. The encouragement for moms and dads here who have a prodigal is, is the best father had prodigals, right? But the encouragement for you, that maybe you're going prodigal in your heart. Maybe you've been wandering. Maybe you're about to. The things of God, the things of eternity, church, the Bible, you're not interested in those things anymore. You may show up here so people don't think something's going on 
where, where's so-and-so? Have you seen him lately or seen her lately? So you come to church, so no one starts asking questions, but you're prodigal. The father's saying, come home. I'm waiting. I've been watching. I've been looking. Right? Today's a day, great day to come home. Right? Today's a great day to come home. I was, I was looking at the sunrise this morning, just thinking about it and, and lamentations uh, say, you know, the reality is his, God's mercies are new every morning. This is a great morning to come home. It's a great morning to come up and get prayer, right? We celebrate something Jesus did for us, communion. And Jesus did that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that while we were yet sinners, while we were at our worst, devoted to sin, that's when he did that. With desire, the Bible says, Jesus tells his disciples that I've desired to eat this with you. This is the, you know, Jesus always in the Gospels would say, my hour is not yet come, my hour is not yet come. That's the hour he was looking for, the cross, the cross, because he cares so much. He knew he had to do that. He was laser focused on that one event in his life. He did tons of stuff, but that's what he was looking forward to. He wanted to eat that with his disciples. And we get to do it today. Remember when we partake of the cracker and the juice, just how much God loves you and how much he cares. And he's ready for you to come home. He wants to embrace you. He wants to hug you. He wants to put a robe on you, reinstate you with a ring, Put sandals on your feet, help you to walk, teach you where to go so you'll never wander again. You don't have to. Is anything better than Jesus out there? Nothing. There's nothing out there that's better, right? There's nothing better than Jesus. Come on back. So we're going to take communion. I'm just going to pray and the worship team's going to come up. And uh, Lord, we're just so thankful, God for your love, for your goodness, for your, the hope we have uh, in you. I'm thankful, Jesus, for Luke 15, that we get to go through this. It's been a hope and a comfort to moms and dads, grandparents and people for 2,000 years. I pray it would bring people comfort today, Lord. I pray it would bring people home today. Pray you draw people in with your cords of love. It's your goodness that leads people to repentance. It's the hope we have in you, the mercy that we need, that you extend. It's because you first loved us, that we love you back. If anyone's here, Lord, that, that, that's been prodigal or thinking about or they sense in their heart a wandering, a distancing, God, I pray that they'd return, return in their hearts, Lord. I pray you draw them, remind them of your love, God. You're so good. We just love you. In Jesus' name.